together for prayer. Um, prayer is often, um, we know that we should pray, but it's often neglected in our lives and sometimes taken for granted that we come together for prayer. We, we need to be encouraged in prayer and uh, be praying for one another together. Uh, we see through the book of Acts, we see um, the church coming together, the fellowship, we see them um, being a witness, but we see the power behind that is the prayer. And so prayer is not just a formality, it, it is to empower us and to encourage us. Um, so tonight as we look at God's Word, I was thinking about, you know, last week we had our business meeting. The week before, I was talking from um, Mark chapter 12 and a parable that Jesus spoke of. Um, and the reason he, he was speaking this parable, um, it, it reminded the people he was speaking to, it showed them their sin, it revealed their sin. And of course they didn't like that. Um, but what I'm getting from here is um, I'm, I'm teaching in, in the school, in our school chapel, and trying to make gospel clear to our students and our staff. And what I recognize is that un unless we understand clearly what sin is, we won't have a full appreciation for God's grace. And as we come in prayer tonight, we're, we're thankful to God for his grace. And so it seems like a downer to talk about sin sometimes because we're, we're reminded of, of our failure. But we need to understand sin so that we can uh, appreciate and be thankful for, uh, appreciate God's blessing of his grace. It's something that we do not deserve. In explaining sin, what I thought of is that it is easier for us to see the sin of others. And so Jesus did a, a very... Um, um, a very tactful thing in teaching sin. He told parables that help people put themselves in somebody else's shoes. And so from a different perspective, they were able to see the sins of others and then he would, he would uh, call it flip the script and, and show them that that was them, right? So he told this parable with that in mind. And the parable is told uh, and I'll just I'll summarize it real briefly kind of in our terms. A businessman bought some land, he invested in it, he developed it, and he brought, he brought his workers in to, to work that land. And then when the land began to produce profits, he sent his servants to come and collect the profits. And uh, they did not give the profits, the workers did not give the profits over to his servants. Um, in fact, they mistreated, they ignored the servants, they mistreated him, them, and they killed some. And eventually he says, well, you know what, I'll send my son. They will certainly honor my son. And uh, he sent his son. Of course, they did not honor him. In fact, they killed him, thinking that, okay, this is it. If we kill him, then there will be nobody else, um, you know, uh, and, and the, the business will be ours. And so Jesus asked the question at the end of the parable, what's the business owner going to do? How do you think he's going to react to that? And, of course, the answer was he is certainly going to destroy those wicked workers for what they have done. Here's, here's a catch at the end of this um, parable. It says in verse 12, in Mark 12, verse 12, and they were seeking to arrest him for fear of the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. Um, do you remember 
in one of the plays that Brian and Jeremy wrote, um, at the end, Jamar was, was saying, Daddy is, preach Daddy is praying about him. Daddy is praying against him. And, and that's, I can't remember what the exact quote was, but you'll remember it, I'm sure. Um, and, and that, that kind of reminds me of, uh, of this. He's, they said, Jesus, he's preaching about us. He, he, he was preaching at us with this parable, and certainly he was. They got it. They got it. He was showing them how, how, um, how wrong they were for the attitude that they had. And I said at this a couple weeks ago when I brought this up is that the broader point here is that it shows us what sin is is. And here's what sin is. Sin is a complete, when I say it that way, it sounds more drastic. Sin is simply disregarding God's authority and his right to rule. And that's what this whole parable is about. This owner had a right to expect profit, and they totally disregard his right to rule. And that's what we do in sin. Now there is another Old Testament passage that I want to use as well. It's in 2 Samuel verse, chapter 12. I'm going to tell the story that's there because you know it very well. 2 Samuel 12 is the story of David when he had sinned uh, against God by taking the wife of Uriah for his own wife as his own. Um, first he had a sex or sexual relationship with her, and then he tried to cover it up by sending Uriah back home so that, um, so you know the story. Um, that didn't work. He sent Uriah back into the battlefield, put him on the harshest field so that he would be killed. And he was, after he died, he brought Bathsheba into his um, into his harem until his palace made her his wife so that he would cover for her pregnancy. Um, God sent Nathan, the prophet, to speak to David. And Nathan helped David see his sin by telling him a story. And that's what 2 Samuel 12 is. He tells him the story about a rich man who had many, many flocks and herds, and a poor man next to him had just one little lamb, baby lamb that grew up as his own pet. And the story goes that the rich man had visitors or guests to come to his house. He wanted to feed the guests, but he did not want to, to uh, use his own herd, his own flock, and so he took the poor man's one little baby lamb, little ewe lamb, killed it, and made a dinner out of it, and fed it to his guests. And so as Nathan tells David this story, it says in verse 5, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. In verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. So here, he, it's helpful for David to see his own sin by putting himself in the shoes 
of someone else as the story forces him to do. And then when he reacts to his own action, Nathan reveals you're the person who did this awful thing. And so he sees his, his great trespass. Um, sin is, is that it is a disrespect for God's rule. We were speaking on it a little bit on Sunday when we say, when we, we often make sin, we look at it in an extreme way. And we say, you know, we hear in the news that um, there was a fight, there was a gunshot, um, there was a murder, and we understand, you know, that's wrong. Um, we see some of the extreme acts in our, in our community and that that's wrong. But do we miss the point that every act of independence against God is sin? Whenever we say that I am going, <laughs> whenever we say that was, that was some tape replaying itself, that wasn't me. <laughs> whenever we say that I'm going to do my own thing, regardless of what that is or how nice or how good we might think that thing is, when we do our own thing, we declare independence against God, that is the epitome of sin. I am going to do as I please, not as how God pleases. In other words, we're saying God has no right to rule over me. I will do as I please. I think when we see it that way, we see sin in the broader light. And we see how much we actually sin against God. When I began, began to do as I please. When you think about it, that's exactly what Satan's attitude was. He says, God is the most high. He's exalted himself above, above everybody else, but I don't accept that. He has no right to rule me, to tell me what's right and what's wrong, what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And I'm going to do as I please. It is that attitude that is the very mark of what sin is. Now, it shows itself in so many different ways. And, and I think the error that I'm cautioning against is we, we tend to look at it when it shows itself in violent ways, when it shows itself in extreme ways. But every day when any individual and each one of us has that sin nature in us, I will do as I please. You test yourself. Um, in our society today, we don't even like, we battle against the very thought of authority. We really do. Um, you know, we want to call our supervisors different names so it doesn't seem like such a strong authority over us. I don't like the idea of boss. We want a, a softer, kinder, gentler term to try to take the authority part out of it. In reality, there are real authorities in our lives. We sometimes try to parent without authority. I just want to be a friend to my kids, to my children. God is saying everything of having authority is an evil thing. What it is is what we rebel against. I've said this in our hearts. If I ask if someone asks us to stand up in our heart, we don't want to stand up. If we're standing up and 
Somebody asks us to sit down. We don't want to sit down. It's that very rebellion that's in our heart that is that, that, that sin nature against a command. We even go so far in our society to say, if we would stop giving commands, we would stop having rebellion. Do you see that in our society? We want to legalize marijuana. We want to legalize a lot of things. In other words, by making them legal, we no longer have sin because we're not going against a rule or law. So we really want to redefine what is right and what is wrong. We're basically saying, Lord, we will set our own standards. It's, it's the theme of the book of Judges, right? Every man did what was right in his own sight. There was no, in his own sight, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own sight. And that is the very picture of what sin is. It is rebelling against the God who created us, who has a right to order us and to say, this is right. This is what you should do. Anything aside and apart from that is wrong. Look at the Garden of Eden. Remember, as you, as you think through that story, we say, well, you know, why, why did God have to make a tree that they couldn't touch? If he wouldn't have said they couldn't touch it, then it wouldn't be sin, right? In other words, if we didn't have any authority, we wouldn't have rebellion against that authority. Well, that is true in a sense because our hearts are evil and do not want to comply with any authority other than our own. In other words, we want to make our, ourselves God. We are our own authority, our own God. No one else has a right to tell us what to do. I talked to the kids at school and said, you know, that's that same phrase, you ain't my mama, you ain't my daddy, therefore I, I acknowledge no other authority in my life. That is the picture of sin. So we need to see it so when we see it crop up in ourselves, we see it for what it is and we acknowledge to God how rebellious, rebellious our heart is naturally against all authority because it ultimately all authority represents God. God is the highest authority. And so um, we recognize that and then we begin to appreciate the grace that God has bestowed for our sin. It's as if we spit in the face of God but yet God says I'm going to provide forgiveness for your your very act and your very nature in my son, Jesus Christ. As we go to prayer today, can we recognize that we have fellowship with God because our sins have been forgiven? That deep-seated rebellion against authority in our hearts has been forgiven by the cross of Christ. Thank God for what he has done for us. And we can recognize our need for it constantly. I, I see in my heart, um, you know, I have a filter so that everything in my heart doesn't always come out. I don't say everything I think. I don't act on everything I think. But I become aware of what I think. I become aware of rebellious thoughts. I become aware of cursing in my heart against something I don't like. You know, it could be somebody driving the wrong way. You won't say it all the time out loud, but you think in your heart. These things, as they, as they drum up in my heart, become aware that I have a sin issue. I have a sin problem. 
Jesus Christ is the only solution for that. And uh, I need to recognize that and, and, and acknowledge his forgiveness for my sin, my rebellion against his authority through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. What did he do? He obeyed the Father. He showed complete obedience to the Father so that he could provide that which um, the state of thanksgiving as we, um, as we pray tonight, thanking God for what he's done for, for our sin. Good evening, saints. We've been meditating through the book of Revelations. And in meditating through this book, it's just, it's just a blessing to go through it and see how it echoes with other scriptures. On Thursday night Bible study, we're going through Isaiah. In Isaiah 24 and Isaiah 25, they speak of this worldwide judgment. And it just echoes so much what you see in this chapter. And then I'm reading through Jeremiah 26, and I'm seeing the same thing. And so it's just amazing to see these different viewpoints that the prophets give um, to this future age. And Isaiah is looking at something that's so far. And then you got Jeremiah is looking at something that is near, but then it's just an echo of something that is going to happen in the future. Now we have John looking at something that is going to be in the future. But why was the book written? The book was written to comfort saints that were in trouble. There were churches that were struggling. They were being persecuted. And Jesus instructed John to write this letter. And he was instructing him to write it so that they would have comfort to know that there is one being that is in control of this future. Only one God holds the future in his hands. So the first part of the letter is seeing who Jesus is. The second part is seeing Jesus' care over the churches. Because oftentimes we can think about Jesus' work as 2,000 years ago, forgetting the fact that he is interceding for us right now, and he is leading his truck, church right now. He is the Lord of the church. We do what he says to do. And the moment we start to disobey him, we defy God. But then he introduces us to heaven's throne room. And we get introduced to this God that is just so powerful. He's crackling with energy. Lightning is jumping off of him. Sunshine is bursting off of him. And angels are falling down. Creatures that if we saw them, they would have to tell us not to be afraid. They are quivering anxiety watching this great God, praising this great God. This great God has a scroll. This scroll is filled with all these letters in it, which was a symbol for saying that was his entire will. And nobody could open his will and reveal his will except for the Lamb. And all of Revelations is the revelation of his will. Revelation is simply opening something up. He is opening up God's will for us to see. And we think of will in a sense that this is what God wants. But the connotation that you get in Revelations 5 is that this is an actual will. 
this is something you give somebody after you die. But the greatness of Jesus is that we can inherit his will because he died, but then he also can share it with us because he lives. Right? That is just the amazing thing of Christianity. And so now we're getting into Revelations 19, where we see the judgment of Babylon has concluded, and now we got the praise of that judgment. And so let's read through Revelations 19, and let's talk about this chapter. After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged a great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult, and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus in the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse again against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. 
what can we say? Well, this passage, not to try to be too complex, but this passage is a pyramid. It has a certain shape. And if you study it, you can kind of see the shape by looking at when he says, I saw or I heard. If you do that, you will divide it into five sections. The five sections will be verse 1 through 5. Section 1. Section 2, verse 6 through 10. Section 3, verse 11 through 16. Section 4, verse 17 and 18. Section 5, verse 19 through the end of the chapter. Why is this important? Because the way he wrote this is very, very important. Let's look and see if I'm just making things up or if there really is a structure. Because the structure that I'm describing is called a chiasm. And what that basically means is the ends amplify the ends, and it builds up to this triangle where at the top is the most important directly in the middle is a form of poetry. The first part matches the last part. The second part matches the fourth part. The third part should be the most important. Let's look at the third part first. Verse 11 verse 16. What is the third part about? What's sitting at the top of that pyramid? Who's the rider on the white horse? Jesus Christ. How do you know he's Jesus? Hmm? He's faithful and true. What's his name? The Word of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Who else is called the Word? Nobody. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Nothing was made without Him. This is Jesus. Who else deserved to be the central piece of this chapter? But Jesus. Again, the structure is really important. And I know it seems like I'm pointing out something complex, but this is just something that's so true about this chapter that many people, when they talk about this chapter, if you don't understand that, you will miss Jesus is at the top. This chapter is about Jesus. This chapter is about Jesus on the white horse. This is not baby Jesus. People have this saying, oh, you go, if you lie, you make baby Jesus cry. There is no baby Jesus. There is no baby Jesus. There is only God, Jesus, sitting at the right hand of God. And this is not little humble Jesus. This is not Jesus on the cross. This is not Jesus that you can make fun of. This is Jesus on a white horse. Jesus said, when I come again, I will come with power. This is Jesus returning with power. This is not Jesus. He said, I'm meek and lowly of heart. Lay your burdens upon me. This is not that Jesus. This is, I'm ready for war. Out of his mouth comes a sword. He is followed by armies that are arrayed in white. That is not 
the way that armies are supposed to go into battle. Armies don't wear white to battle because blood is squirting everywhere, especially in that day and age where combat was face to face and extremely brutal. Combat is bad now because you can blow up somebody in the head and just roll past you. And I get that. But there is something that is even more vicious about the fact that you are hacking somebody to pieces with a piece of metal. And you see their expression. That's just, it's just something about it. And it, this is violent. But Jesus is bringing an army to this kind of battle dressed in white. Why? Because they're not going to be touched. That's the Jesus that we see. Now let's look at sections two, sections four. What is surrounding this Jesus? What is in common between sections two, which is verse six through 10, and section four, verse 17 and 18? Let's talk about 17 and 18, because that's short. What are the birds doing? What do you say? The birds are eating. All right. In verse 6 through 10, what are the people invited to? A feast, a supper, right? Both sections have the theme of what? Eating. Eating. There's two meals. Jesus is surrounded by feasting, right? Jesus is surrounded by feasting. That's the next level of the triangle. It's supporting Jesus. This is feasting supports Jesus. There is a good kind of feasting. There's a bad kind of feasting. The good kind of feasting is blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who partake in this celebration feast with Jesus. It's going to be rich. It's going to be a great celebration. It's going to be something that we can all look forward to. But there's another feast. Because if you're not invited to that feast, you will be part of the second. The second one is, the birds are going to eat you. Why would the birds eat you? Because you got killed in battle and nobody's around to bury you. He is summoning birds from all across the world. Because there's going to be a feast. There's going to be a feast regardless, right? There's going to be a feast regardless. It's either you partake or you are it. But there will be a feast. And let's look at the first section and the last section. What's the last section about? We normally call it the Battle of Armageddon. What happens in that battle? It's not a quick, it's not a, a tough battle. He shows up with all his armies. It's all this buildup, and then it's done. He's thrown into hell. His prophet is thrown into hell. Everybody who opposes God is thrown into hell. That's the last section. What's the first section about? Who? Judging Babylon, right? says once more they cried out hallelujah the smoke from her goes up forever and ever they are praising God's judgment at the end we see the judgment at the first part we praise that it already happened these sections they all amplify each other don't they and 
that's how this factory should be built. It should be built with you looking at it and saying, man, I got an odd number. Section one is about the judgment of the prostitute. Section five is about the judgment of the beast. Sections two and four are both about feasting. Section three is all about Jesus. And this chapter's theme is Jesus. He is sitting at the top of this mountain that we built in this chapter, that John built in this chapter. And so in our meditation, we got to be thinking about Jesus. But we have to be thinking about him in a very specific way. That is, that he is a God that we will face one day. We will either join him or be devoured by him. We will either praise his judgment or suffer his judgment. I don't like Christians who say things like, well, you know, I'm not necessarily for judgment or, I don't know, that seems a little harsh to me. Who are you to judge what's harsh? Aren't you a servant of your master just like I'm a servant of my master? We don't tell our master what to do. That's not our business. Our opinion does not matter in that. Too many Christians can become spoiled kids. Spoiled kids speak on matters that's not their business to speak on. And the problem with a lot of parents is that they don't put the kids in their place. God don't do that. Don't talk about the matters of God as if you have some say in that. You can ask God to explain it to you just like a child will ask Daddy, why do we do this? But even in there, there's a time and a place. And when we ask our Father, say, Father, can you explain this to me? Why did these people have to be judged? Because they broke our rules. Wouldn't that seem a little harsh? Don't. No. I set the rules for what's harsh and what's not. I determine right and wrong. You will either submit to it or not. And Christians too often times, maybe because we live in a free country, we don't kind of understand the domineering nature of God. We don't understand that heaven is not a democracy. It's not. We need to accept God's judgments and more than that, need to embrace it. And that's hard. But it must be done. So that's our meditation. Focus on Jesus. He has a right to determine what to do with your life. He has a right to have you submit. He has a right to judge this world. And he will judge it. So look to him. What is on your heart for prayer tonight, Jamar? I would say uh, this upcoming election, um, leadership of the city of Milwaukee, how there needs to be a change from the um, status quo and from the um, consistent foolishness of our people in charge. So my prayer tonight is for, um, it's just for leadership. It's for that, I know it seems impossible, but that God will put the right person in place. Who wants to pray with Jamar on that? Right there.
and then I will close this up. Dear Lord, thank you for coming to get, allow us to come together tonight. Just have this time to go through your word and just to think over uh, that you are in control, you are leading and guiding this world. Everything is in your power. And realizing that just as we see this um, this earth and just things in this country going, uh, getting worse and worse and just poor leadership all around the Lord. No one wants to fix the problems in front of us. They just worry about the next election and just maintain their power. Just pray that we have options for leadership that actually wants to fix the problems and wants to do the right thing, that you would um, cause them to rise up to the Lord and cause them to be elected into office and realize that you are the one that is putting these people in their place and, and uh, power the Lord and that we would not be lazy. We would not just give up on our um, on what's in front of us to the Lord, that we would not just focus on the, the spiritual, but realize that this is also required of us in this world to be active in things like politics and in things like um, those that run different parts of our lives, the Lord. I just thank you just for everything you have done and how um, you are protecting us as we go out and leave this place, uh, or go to our jobs, go to our schools, wherever it may be, and you have your hand on us, the Lord, but there are those out there that don't have that protection. And a lot of people are dying, the Lord, a lot of people are being um, attacked or having violent things at them, the Lord, and just pray this world is growing wicked, the Lord, and Ultimately, we need leadership just to say stop and just do the right thing and just turn around to you, the Lord. And ultimately, we need godly leadership, the Lord. It would be a blessing to have a godly leader in a place of power that show people what's the right way and what's the right thing to do, the Lord. But I just thank you just for everything you've done and how you have brought us to this point. I just pray now for the elections coming up in a few weeks that we may vote the right person in the office, the Lord, and that you will help us to um, be directed to do the right thing on that. In the name of St. Jesus, amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, Lord. We come to you tonight, Lord, asking for prayer for the city of Milwaukee. Lord, we know that crime is everywhere and in every city and every state, Lord, but we come to you tonight specifically for the city of Milwaukee, knowing, Lord, that you have placed a light here through Sweet Communion and through others that we know who have, who have accepted you as Lord and Savior. We pray, Lord, you would use um, us, Lord, to tell and show the world what a... Um, what you can do in a life, Lord. So we pray tonight, Lord, for all those who are in governmental positions that are over us. We pray for Acting Mayor Cavalier Johnson. We pray, Lord, that you would um, work in his life. I don't know if he's saved or not, Lord, but pray that you would just work with him. We pray for our governor. We pray, Lord, for um, all those officials that make rules and regulation, our court systems. Lord, we pray that you would just... Uh, not only just watch over them, Lord, but, but place us and strategically place believers in place, places, Lord. We know you have done that in places where they can be of influence to this world. And then, Lord, we pray for our youth of this city, Lord, who are, are truly gone astray, Lord. Um, and we know that all of this is a result of sin, Lord. Um, uh, we know that their lives are, are don't mean very much to them, Lord. And now, I've seen, Lord, where they're committing suicide, Lord. Committing suicide is a direct, diso directly disobey what you have uh, said in your word, how our lives should be lived, Lord. So we pray for the young people, and we pray as people of, of God, Lord, that you would just give us the opportunities to witness and to stand fast on your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Lord, we continue in prayer. We just look around us and we see the wickedness running rampant. We see this world just 
continue to spiral its way towards destruction as you have said it would. We ask that you continue to be with um, our city leaders and our state leaders, Lord. We ask that you continue to just work your will through them, continue to do your will in um, the legislation they pass and the rules they pass. Jamar said it, and we all know that you put anyone in power in place. They may try to take the credit. They may try to say that it's because of their great ideas, but we know that they're there because you have them there for a reason. We ask that you continue to con just conduct your will through these people. Um, they don't have to be saved to be used by you, Lord. You use everybody that's in, in place for a specific reason. We ask you continue to do that. We ask that you continue to do that for our nation as well as the, we have the leaders over those leaders, Lord. And we continue to ask that you just continue to just work in their lives, Lord. Continue to just help, if it be your will, just some of the legislation go towards way to ways to help your word be spread more. For good or bad of legislation, Lord, we ask you continue to just um, allow your word to flourish and continue to spread to those that need to hear it. Continue to do your work. And then <clears throat> locally, very, very close to home, Lord, we just ask that you just be with the leaders of this church, Lord. Continue to just bless all of them. Continue to just give them wisdom in how to lead and um, continue to conduct church business and um, continue to be with Pastor Kenner and Pastor Brian as they speak. Continue to give them words um, of your wisdom, Lord, and help them to impart it to us and continue to just bless the ministry of this church. And in your name we pray. Amen.